Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Nelson DeMille, welcome to Philadelphia. Welcome to the Big Talker. Welcome to the Book Club. It is our uh, it is our privilege to uh, to have you uh, here. I can't tell you the level of excitement in the room. By the way, I think before you walked in, there was almost a brawl between the Plum Island crowd over there on the left, you know, the charm school people down here in the front, uh, Lions game up the middle, and, and now nightfall. It's great to be here. And uh, this is, yeah, I, did a, I did a publicity tour back in January and February, and then I, uh, I usually don't say it, I don't, and I'll do it anymore, but Michael's very persuasive. He says you have to. You think so? You have to drive three hours to, uh, Radnor PA and come here and do the show, and I said, you know. But look at this turnout, be, and, and we, I, we turned, we turned away this many people who wanted to be here, and many, many more than this, of course, are listening to us on the radio. Uh, I don't want to take for granted, we will when we go into executive session. I don't want to take for granted that people listening in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware are conversant with the book. Mm-hmm. 
the book is a work of fiction, but it's set against this backdrop of, of historical fact and a very serious piece of uh, historical fact. July 17, 1996, it's the downing of TWA Flight 800. Where was Nelson DeMille when that explosion occurred? Yeah, I was actually uh, on the east end of Long Island. This happened, uh, the plane went down off uh, the coast of Southampton, eight miles out, out in the ocean. Uh, that's uh, more like West Hampton, if you're familiar with Long Island. I was on the North Fork of Long Island that night. I was, I had a summer house. Uh, why? Because uh, I was writing Plum Island, which was set out there, and I was actually doing a James Michener. I was researching where I was, uh, I shouldn't say vacationing, where I was, uh, where I was writing. And, uh, about, I guess it was 8-something at night, 8.30 at night. I actually went out on the back porch, went to have a, a beer, and I could hear something. But it was right after the 4th of July, and I thought, well, you know, this is another, it's fireworks or whatever. But an hour later, somebody called me on the phone, actually my ex-wife, and said, uh, uh, did you hear that TW-800 went down? And the reason she called is I had put my daughter on that flight two nights before uh, to Paris. And I said, oh, my God. And I just took me a second to process it. And um, so then I turned it on TV, and it was a lot of speculation at first. A lot of times the first reports you get are inaccurate, but sometimes there's things within the first you know, news reports uh, that make a little bit sense. The first report was that a small plane had hit uh, a jetliner, uh, which turned out not to be true. And then reports started coming out about people seeing a rocket. You know, this was uh, you know, people thinking terrorism. And then those reports sort of went away, and, you know, there's a whole progression of it, and it's kind of all in the book. Uh, you know, they went through a series of speculations, because here you have a giant 747 airliner explodes off the coast, you know, and this stuff is at the bottom of the ocean, and it took about seven or eight months to actually retrieve this stuff. So there was seven or eight months of speculation. We probably all remember. It was 96, which is almost just eight years now. But uh, it was very much in the news because there was a lot of thought about, you know, obviously even then, before 9-11, about terrorism. And the government went to incredible lengths to then do a salvage operation and reconstruct that yeah. aircraft. Uh, you were able to uh, to gain access to the hangar, the Grumman hangar, where they actually put TWA Flight 800 back together. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, uh, they had an old hangar. Grumman, Grumman Aircraft is on Long Island. They, uh, they, they were assembling uh, at least some F-15s. I think it was F-15 Tomcats. But the hangar was empty. And they decided to bring the, to salvage the plane. At first, there was no thought of salvaging the plane because uh, it was thought to be... You know, an accident, right from, you know, the government said this was an accident. And the salvage operation was very expensive. It was tens of millions of dollars to go, you know, down about, uh, something like 2,000 feet and recover an entire 747 from the bottom of the ocean and reassemble it in this uh, Grumman aircraft hangar. Uh, but they wanted to put to rest any speculation that it could have been, um, uh, a rocket. One of the first things that came out is that uh, oddly enough, there were naval war maneuvers right under that area that night, right on the ocean. It's called uh, War Zone 115, I believe it is. And right from the, from the get-go, everybody said this was friendly fire, this was friendly fire. Um, and that, that, that theory, you know, held for a couple of months. But the FBI interviewed everybody on those ships that were out there, naval, you know, naval ships. There were some active duty naval, a lot of reservists out there. And um, they interviewed everybody who would have had access to a uh, to a surface-to-air missile, and they concluded, and I think maybe rightfully so, that this could not have been a friendly fire accident. There was no missile missing. 
you know, Navy people talk, and I have to, you know, if anybody's been in the military, you know, maybe guys get a couple of drinks of them. Uh, it's very, very difficult to hide, uh, you know, an accident of that magnitude. So you, that, you, you, know, do, you do not believe friendly fire. But, I don't think it's Nelson, friendly fire. Listen, anybody who reads Nightfall comes away scratching their head. Yeah. It's a great read, but they also come away scratching their head as to whether we know all that we need to know about the downing of, of TWA Flight 800. And what, what I want to make clear, because now that we had dinner together last night, I, I, I can report to the audience that it, it seems like we're kindred spirits politically, which yeah. is good news, by the way. Uh, we are not. You know, guys like us, we're not Oliver Stone people, right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know there's a line in Nightfall where you ridicule Stone. You, in, in one similarity, you've, you've dealt with uh, a fictitious situation against the backdrop of yeah. historical fact. But something you told me last night, and I want the audience to hear it from you. When you discuss the factual elements of TWA Flight 800, you're not pulling punches. Those are the facts. Yeah, those are the facts. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, I'm assuming everybody here, almost everybody here has read the book. But not, every, not uh, the 40,000. But not the 40, right. And uh, the book starts off with a... Uh, a scene that kind of sets up a scene of eyewitnesses on the beach who uh, see what happened that night, and uh, and I won't give much more away. That that scene is the the made up scene, and from that, from these eyewitnesses who have to have a video. Wait a minute, camera, wait a minute. You mean that part <laughs> didn't happen on the beach? That part oh, okay. didn't happen to anybody. But I don't take it out of the movie. Right. <laughs> that's the uh, that's definitely that's definitely the. Uh, <laughs> You know, I had you know you, you make a lot of choices as a um, as a novelist. One of the one of the facts of, of this case that was in this book was that uh, there, I believe, now you know, I was talking to Michael last night about it. I, I can't remember my own books after a year and a half, and but I believe there was seventeen pri you know uh, ships out on the water that night. They're not Navy ships; these are private craft. And the Coast Guard asked that all these ships to report in to say what did you see, and also to help with the recovery operation. Well, sixteen of these ships. Pleasure boats of different sizes uh, did import. Uh, in fact, we went to the Coast Guard or came into came into shore. There was one ship that uh, disappeared. Navy radar saw this ship going out to the open ocean, at, I think it was 31 knots. It was called the 31 knot ship. Disappeared, never to be seen again. The speculation, of course, was that if a rocket was fired, this is the ship from which the rocket was fired. My idea as a novelist with the dirty miners, there was a couple on board, you know, having sex, and they should not have been there. And they actually saw what happened, and, that, and that's why the, the ship disappeared. Um, but if that was the case, then I didn't have the missing ship that could have fired the uh, the missile. So I brought, I'm, this, I'm, I'm I brought the couple. The, I brought the couple back to the beach. I'm caught up in the rocket <laughs> metaphor uh, myself. Yeah, the rocket metaphor. Yeah. Uh, listen, I want to do something because I have this guy right now on hold, okay. and and there are people listening to the Big Talker 1210 right now. Michael Smirkanish and Nelson DeMille, who are probably getting their first uh, uh, information about, well, wait a minute, TWA 800, you mean it wasn't a, a spontaneous combustion in the center fuel tank? There are more than 200 eyewitnesses who maintain that they saw light from the ocean to the aircraft as opposed to in reverse. I want you to meet one of them, Mike Wire. Michael, are you there? Yes, I Michael? am. Yes, sir. Hi. Hey, uh, meet Nelson DeMille and a room full of people and thousands more in Philadelphia. Thank you for coming back to the program. I, our time is short. Uh, on July 17, 1996, where exactly were you that night? I was working on a bridge at the Beach Lane Bridge in West Hampton. 
right on the ocean. What exactly did you see? I saw what looked like uh, fireworks leaving the beach behind a house and going up and out the sea and wavering with a smoke trail behind it. Arced, went up in the air and arced over, disappeared, and then a big fireball erupted. You, you, you didn't see light coming from the sky down to the ocean? No, sir. Nelson DeMille, the CIA explanation, by the way, good question. Why is yeah. the CIA involved in this? But we'll yeah. get to that in executive session. But the CIA explanation for this is that this gentleman, Mike Wire, saw an optical illusion. It's an optical illusion, right. And uh, the CIA never, never dealt with a lot of the issues. One of the issues they didn't deal with, as Mike is saying, is the smoke trail, too. Um, it was not only a trail of fire going up. It was also most people saw smoke. And if, the, and if this was burning fuel coming down, as the CIA said, you would not see a smoke trail, obviously, going up. But I think, you know, what Mike saw is what about 200 other people saw. Michael, who interviewed you, FBI, CIA, or none of the above? FBI. And they, what level of interest did they appear to take in your story? Well, they did a, t a phone interview, asked me to call him because uh, they found out I was out on the bridge, and they called my employer to ask me to... Uh, call them so when i did they did a phone interview and then later they had an agent come to my house and take a full deposition it took about an hour and a half for him to to do the deposition are you and a conspiracy view, guy the view of the video was taken from my perspective you know the cia video of the zoom climb video as they call it that was from right. my perspective on the bridge uh, michael are you a conspiracy guy uh getting more that way well, I mean, you know, uh, Kennedy assassination. Did did Oswald kill him and act alone? I I suspect not. Okay. Interesting. Hey, I I am grateful that you joined us. I know what's going on in your world today. My audience does not. I want to express my condolences and simply say thank you for joining us back on the Big Talker twelve ten. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, sir. I thought it important, Nelson. Sorry that I bring to my audience one of those eyewitnesses yeah, who yeah. under oath said, this is what I saw and I'm sticking to it. It's our first meeting of the book club. The great Nelson DeMille is in the house with us. His most recent achievement, it's Nightfall. Hey, I always wondered, because Nelson DeMille is such a cool name. <laughs> I always thought it was a pen name, but that's the real deal. No, it was a name I had to grow up with when I was a kid. Uh, I know there were too many Nelsons in my class. My father was part uh, French-Canadian, but he's also born in Canada. And his, uh, his, his two heroes were Lord Nelson and Richard the Lionhearted. I always said to him, why don't you name me Richard Nelson? Why did it have to be Nelson Richard? But, <laughs> uh, but I'm stuck with it. Uh, TWA Flight 800, the CIA explanation is spontaneous combustion caused perhaps by a frayed wire in the center fuel tank. And what they say in response to fellas like Mike Wire, who was just on the program, they say optical illusion. They also point out speed of light versus speed of sound, meaning that explosion took place. And then seconds later, people heard something, caused them to turn and look at the sky. And by the time they, they turned, they saw something different than perhaps what had first occurred. That's the explanation in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And it's kind of hard to follow the explanation. And you know, if you listen to the CIA, it's hard to follow anything they say. And I always make fun of the CIA in my books. And I'll tell you why. Because I, I, I applied to be a CIA officer when I got out of the <laughs> Army. And uh, they said no, and I've been paying them back ever since, but that's another story. From where most people were on the beach to where the plane was, eight miles out at, uh, gosh, I think it was 20,000 feet, um, it would take 40 seconds 
for the sound to hit where most of the witnesses are, because the speed of sound. What the CIA is saying is that the plane exploded 40 seconds later. People heard the explosion, looked up, and they saw jet fuel coming down, and they mistook it for a rocket going up. But it's kind of illogical because what most people see at night is a flash in the sky. This is what you're going to see first before you hear anything. No matter where you are on the beach, on a boat or whatever, you'll see uh, either this flame going up or you'll see, you know, the explosion itself. Most people, I think, were attracted by the light itself. And they saw the explosion as it happened, not the not in the reverse order that the CIA says. So, I mean, you know, again, you have 200 eyewitnesses who all pretty much say this is what I saw and uh, maybe a lot of us remember the CIA may have made an animation. They put it on TV back in 97, the year after the crash, saying, no, this is what you saw. It was a kind of a cartoon of, of how the accident went down. Um, and I know personally a neighbor of mine, uh, two neighbors, a couple, uh, who were eyewitnesses. And these are you know people who um, I respect and trust. And they had six kids on board, four adults, six kids on board a ship. And they all said they saw the same thing. They saw a rocket coming from the water. Looked up, and the kid said, one of the little boys, about eight years old, said, oh, look, Daddy, a skyrocket. They thought it was a skyrocket. They looked up, and all of a sudden, a huge explosion in the sky. Uh, and that was the order they saw it. And he said, 40 seconds later or so, 30 seconds, he says, then the, the, the sound of the explosion hit the boat. We could hear this big rumbling. But that was after we saw everything else. So that was the order they saw it, which is apparently the order that it happened, uh, if you believe 200 eyewitnesses. To, uh, to what extent have you heard from families of victims of TWA Flight 800, and what has been their reaction? Because as I, I mean, you make very clear, Nelson, I think it's page one, that you dedicate this yeah. to the victims of this tragedy. And, and I just wondered, has there been any criticism leveled at you for stirring the pot, for lack of a better way to describe it? No, not from the families. I have uh, three, only three communications from the families, which... I thought there might be more because there were, and I thought some of it would be critical, but no, but it wasn't. They, uh, they're very happy that I did this book and that it was a national bestseller and hopefully this will, uh, they're not happy with the explanation either. I have heard from hundreds of, uh, TWA people, um, uh, who were obviously not on board because they, 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 you know, everybody on board perished. But TWA, uh, the old TWA as a corporation and then, uh, and as a, uh, uh, and as a family, they like to think of themselves as a family. Um, we're never happy with the explanation. They knew a lot of they knew the people on board, and uh, that was very positive too. They really said, "We hope this opens up an investigation uh, to what really happened." And most of the public, I think, and I'm getting a lot of uh, mail and uh, email from people who live out on the East End, and, and and a lot of the eyewitnesses who I couldn't make contact with when I was reading the when I was when I was writing the book, they've come forward too. And I think that the bottom line, uh, how people feel about it, uh, they're glad I did it in, in, in fiction form, so hopefully that, you know, uh, this will reopen the investigation. But so far, nothing is nothing to, to, the, to the extent that a missile took down that airplane, that missile is out there somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I yeah. know, and I reread the book this week, and it's, it, it would have to be, as you describe it, a kinetic yeah. missile, but it would be buried after 10 years now, 8 years, 9 years, whatever it is, yeah. under a heck of a lot of sand, but it'd be there somewhere. Yeah, there would be, uh, this is one of the things uh, that the FBI and the CIA said, we cannot find any trace of a missile. Uh, but, you know, where they dredged for the plane uh, is where the plane was. Where the missile would be is totally different. This missile that passed through 
would have probably gone another several thousand feet, arced, and gone anywhere. So they were never looking for a missile. They were, they were looking for pieces of a missile. And they should have said that, but what they were saying was, we didn't find a missile. Of course you didn't find a missile. The missile's nowhere near the plane. There's nothing... Uh, there's nothing within that debris field where the plane was that would that would suggest a missile. We're we're out of time. I want to pay you this compliment with the larger audience still listening. I'm a guy who consumes truly 20 newspapers a day. I'm a news junkie because I have to be, and also because I enjoy it. And when I go home at night, it's like the conversation that uh, we, we had with my wife last night. Sometimes we go out to dinner with people and they expect that they're going to get more from me at night, like they got from me in the morning, and it's the last thing right. that I want to do. All I want to do is escape for a while. And you have provided me and this room full of people and thousands more listening with, with so many wonderful moments to escape uh, with books that you just couldn't put, uh, put down. So it's really an honor for me to initiate a book club with you at my side. And you're also a hell of a good guy. I know that from now being in your company. So thank you so much for coming to Philadelphia. Thank I you, really, really appreciate thank it. You Folks, I'll be back Monday at 5.30. And next time, make sure you come to the book club. See ya. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Tuesdays and Fridays.